Everybody kind of seems a little subdued today. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, the rain or if it's, uh, you know, the, the freeze that came and killed all the blooms off the trees and the leaves, you know, it just kind of makes you go, Ugh, it just makes you want to shrivel too. I don't know. But uh, I, one, one little thing that I learned from uh, somebody who's a real smarty pants, and I can't remember who told me, uh, but they, they said that uh, with trees, a lot of times there's, uh, they, they have buds that are just waiting uh, to come out. They come out three or four weeks later than the first blooms of the leaves that come out. And uh, so there's, there's a second round that's coming, and they're waiting till this thaw comes. And so there is hope. There will be leaves that will come out. And uh, I think for us, just know that also, uh, you know, if you're a little uh, under the weather or a little gloomy today, just know that, that there's, there's a second chance for everybody. And uh, there is a way uh, to still bloom, and, and the Lord works with us, and He gives us a chance. So uh, last week was an amazing time. I, it was a fantastic time. And, and I don't know if you've ever had experiences where you gathered with a group of Christ followers, and you kind of left the place going, wow, that, that was just great. That was awesome. Now, that was church. I don't know if you ever had that kind of experience before, um, but I think there's a, there's a question that is uh, being raised in heaven. And there, it's a question from the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And, and it's something like this. Was, was that church? Is, is that what we thought of? Is, is, that what we con- is that the notion we conceived of when we thought of redemptive communities gathering all over the planet Earth? Sometimes I, I think there might be a little disparity between the assessments in heaven of what church is and the assessment here on Earth as people leave a church gathering. In the days of the prophet Amos, uh, it's recorded in the scriptures that there was a group of people that were gathering regularly for worship. And they were singing, preaching, and praying, but they were ignoring the poor that lived around them. They were also oppressing the weak in all their business dealings. And they were tolerating spiritual hypocrisy. And God spoke to them these words. He said these words to him. It's recorded in Amos. I hate. No, I can't stand your religious meetings, away with the noise of your songs. Yet the worship gatherers of that day and time were probably leaving, leaving their gathering that day, probably saying, dude, that was, that was a 9.8 on a scale of 1 to 10. That was, that was awesome. That was church. Yet the Lord and all of heaven was saying, Unacceptable. Strike that. We hate what you're doing. Close the doors. We think you'd be better off. In Malachi, there was another gathering of religious people. And these guys in this group, they came up with a great cost-cutting idea, a real expense-cutting brainstorm. And you see, God had told his people a long time before this centuries before, that whenever they gathered to celebrate the cleansing of sin, that they were to go out to their herd or to their flocks and pick the finest and healthiest animal. And that, would, that one, that they would, they would bring that animal, and, and it would be the animal that you know, would be, bring the highest bid if they were to take it to the marketplace. 
And so, but they were instead to bring it to the worship gathering and they would offer it as a sacrifice to God. All of that as a foreshadowing of what Christ would do in the future as being the ultimate sacrifice. But some of the, the really smart and cheap worship gatherers there had this idea. And, and the question was like this. They said, why, why should we give up our best animals? Why should we give up our best if they're only going to be killed on an altar? Why do that? Why choose the prize animal if it's only going to be given to God? So they decided from that point on to find the worst in their herds, in their flocks. And with great intentionality, they would find the sick, they would find the lame, they'd find the blind animal, or they'd find the one that's close to death. Hey man, this one's already going to die. And they would say, this is perfect for sacrificing to God because it's worthless. It's worthless. You know, all the people of the day were feeling pretty good about their religious gathering, but God says to them, when you bring your lame, your blind, your sick and dying animals to me, that's just wrong. Try doing that with some of your earthly rulers and see what their response would be to that. Probably wouldn't be pretty good, would it? Oh, that someone would just shut the temple doors and that you wouldn't bother lighting useless fires on my altar. Why bother? God was saying, what you're doing down there just isn't church. At least, not the kind I'm interested in. God doesn't say He wants their, their church gathering tweaked. He says, shut the whole thing down. Strong words from the Lord. Strong words. But you see, how people think about church and how they practice church, what's in their hearts and what's in their minds matters in heaven. It really matters to the Lord how we practice church, how we are the church. It matters to Him. One time, Jesus was invited to a local religious gathering there in Israel at the synagogue. And you would think that it would have been a really great day. I mean, this is going to be a great gathering since Jesus is the one who's going to be speaking. I mean, what could go wrong? But the religious leaders were looking for a way to discredit Jesus. And so and it was all because they're jealous over the following that were starting to gather around him. And so they found a man. They had this plan. They found a man that had a deformed and scarred hand. And they sat him on the front row knowing that when Jesus got up and saw him, Jesus would heal him. Because Jesus had this thing, his heart was compassionate and merciful, that he always wanted to heal people with any kind of physical affliction. And so the religious leaders, you see, they, they had some extra laws added, kind of an, an addendum to God's word. And they, they figured that if, this, if, if Jesus healed this guy on this special day, then they could accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath day. So... That was their plan. But Jesus, he gets up to speak in the synagogue, and the room is just electric. There's expectation everywhere. And Jesus gets up, and, and before he speaks, he sees the man with the hand that's deformed and scarred. And then he looks, and he sees all the religious leaders leaning forward, kind of looking to see what he's going to do. And then he sees it all. And he realizes 
It's a trap. It's a sting. It's a setup. And Jesus, he gets mad. He gets really mad. He, is this church? Is this church? You bring a guy in and you don't even care about him. You sit him down on the front row and you don't care about his condition. You don't care about his family. You're just using him. Just using him. And this is, this is all about how much mileage you can get out of this scene, right? And all the buzz in here isn't a buzz about the anticipation of being in the Father's presence. It isn't an eagerness to hear the truth and apply it to your life. It isn't a desperation to, to meet with God and to be touched by Him in some transcendent way. It's none of that. You see, sometimes those of us on earth, what we think of as great church just might not be all that great in the Lord's eyes. And sometimes what doesn't seem impressive or captures our imaginations absolutely thrills the heart of God. And all of heaven stands and applauds and says, yes, now that's church. We commend you. Keep it up. Do that again. So, this is a really good question for us as a new church. Just a year and a half old. This is a good, good question for us to ask. What is great church? And is what we're doing, is it, is it church? We need to look at reality. And part of my job as a leader is to say, here's reality. Here's what it is. However much it may be comfortable or uncomfortable to us. And then to say, okay, this is reality, but this, here's where Jesus is calling us to. Here's where He's calling us to. So what really matters to me, and really what should matter to all of us here, is what Jesus thinks, not, not what some other person thinks. And so seriously, so seriously, what is Jesus looking for in His church? What gets His disapproval, and, and what gets His applause? I want to know. I thought one good place for us to look was begin looking for answers in the book of Revelation, where Jesus Himself gives a verbal report card for seven churches in seven different cities. For each city church, Jesus, he first announces himself, declares who he is, and then he praises them for some of the right things that they're doing. And then he addresses their failures as a church. And in his final words to each church, Jesus tells them of the great and mysterious rewards that he's going to give to them if they'll overcome, if they'll overcome and become the prevailing church that he desires. In Jesus' words, there are warnings and there's approvals. There's rebukes and there's praises. And so what I want us to do is just take a look at this and lay out His words, just lay them out before us and go, Jesus, You're the judge. You're the judge of this church, of this group. And we'll look to You. We'll look to You. So let me just say that we might wince a little bit some of these things, and we might realize that we don't measure up. But what I want you to know, it's all right. Failure isn't fatal, okay? You know, if we recognize our failures, we have opportunity to change. We have opportunity to repent, to turn our things around and get them more in line with what Jesus desires. All right? So it's okay. So, what are some of the things that Jesus is looking for? 
If, if you want to, want to, you can jump to Revelations chapter 2. You can park there. I know it's hard to see in here. We'll put up stuff on the screens. But Revelation chapter 2, Jesus starts with the church in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. And he tells them he's proud of their deeds. He's proud of the things that they've done. He's proud of their hard work and their perseverance. They're a church that they've got some action going on. There's good things. You can count on them when the rubber meets the road. And Jesus goes on and he says, they don't put up with wickedness. They don't put up with that stuff. And, and that those who come along and come in their church and start making big claims, they don't dismiss them, they don't blow them off, but they put them to the test to find out if they're fakes or if they're for real. So these people are wise. And they're, and they're setting themselves apart as holy. I mean, wow. I mean, this is a church that's got a lot going on. A lot of right things they're doing. But Jesus says this in warning and rebuke. He says, you have forsaken your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. Look and remember the height from which you have fallen. How are we doing as a church in loving Jesus, our first love? How are we doing? Maybe, maybe we have a lot of rubber meets the road action going on. But are we still compelled by His love? Has it started becoming empty rituals for us? If so, let's change. Let's repent. Let's, let's do the things that we did at first. To the church in the city of Smyrna, Jesus says this, I know you're afflicted and poor by the world's standards, but by my standards, you're rich. You're rich. This church's poverty has not driven them away from God. Instead, they've moved towards God. And they have a rich faith, a faith that's growing. And this Jesus is so excited about for them. And he says this faith even withstands some of the bad-mouthing from some of the other religious groups in town. And Jesus, he really, in, to the church of Smyrna, he has nothing bad to say about them. He just tells them to keep it up. He says, stick it out. So what about us as a church? What about us? If we, we look at Smyrna and, and some of the words that Jesus said to that church, does our faith have the admiration of Jesus? Does our faith have, that, have his admiration? How are we doing when we are bad mouth? Are we bad mouthing right back? Are we blessing instead, as we are told to do by Jesus? How are we doing uh, when we're at the end of our resources? When we're at the end of our resources, do we still trust God? That's when our faith becomes rich. You know what? Let's not trust the riches of this world. Let's put our trust in God who can make us rich in faith. To the church in Pergamum, Jesus tells them that he's proud of how they've remained faithful to his name, even though they live in one of the most spiritually inhospitable places. It's tough where they live. There, there are spiritual forces aligned against them, and they're great, but they are holding their ground. They're standing firm. They won't back down on their faith. This is a church with great faith. But Jesus says this about their practice of what they believe, their practice of their, of their God belief, of their theology. He says, you got people who hold on to the teaching of Balaam. They're saying that it's okay to be sexually immoral. And he was telling them, okay, you're saying you got great faith, you believe great things, but then your life, you're doing another thing. Your, your faith and your actions got to line up together here. 
You've got to put it into practice. Jesus mentions also that there's some teachings from a group of people called the Nicolaitans. Now, the funny thing is, is that today, historians, when they go back and they try to figure out what the Nicolaitans actually believe, they can find no record of them. They don't know what they believe. They don't know what the false teaching was. So obviously, the church in Pergamum did a pretty good of stamping out the false teaching because we have no idea what it was. So obviously, this church repented and turned some things around here, which is a good deal. That's good to know. So, but do we have great faith in God? Do we have great knowledge of Him? We, maybe we need to grow in that. And what we know and what we hold to be as truth and reality, does that line up with the way we live our lives? If not, let's have our lives aligned with our beliefs. Let's get them lined up. To the church of Thyatira, Jesus says He's proud of their deeds. He's proud of their love. He's proud of their faith, their service, and their endurance. I mean, he, He's got this big list. I mean, this church is doing great. A lot of good things. I mean, this church has got it together. They've got faith and action, but they haven't forgotten love. And they've, they've endured and hung on to good teaching. But there's one thing. One thing. Jesus tells them there is one thing. There's, they're tolerating. They're tolerating a teacher in the city who misleads Christ followers and others. And I don't know what that tolerating looked like. Maybe, you know, they just... They say, oh yeah, we, we know that's going on. But hey, we're, we're doing our thing and we're staying true. We're being faithful. So just let them do their thing. And, or maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what it was. But they're putting up with it. And Jesus says, don't put up with it any longer. Don't put up with it. He says these, they're, they're misleading these people into sexual immorality and they're participating in things that are part of allegiance to other gods. So how about us, us as a church? Do we, do we have a lot of things together, but we're sitting on our hands, watching people being led astray? Are we not speaking up when we should? Are we not pulling people back from destructive paths? Do we care about those who are being misled into false religions and destructive habits? Do we care enough to say something? Maybe we need to care enough to say enough, enough of this. Maybe we need to care enough to say, hey, buddy, buddy, look, look, Jesus doesn't want you going down that path. He's got something better in mind for you. Can I share with you? Follow me. To the church in Sardis, Jesus doesn't have much to praise not much to praise him for. In fact, he doesn't have anything good to say at all. It's really disturbing. In fact, he, he tells them this warning and this rebuke. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wow. And it's like a stake to the heart. And you hear that from Jesus? Ooh. This church looks like it has it all together, but it's all show. It's all show. It's not good. It's not good at all. He specifically says that their deeds are not complete in the sight of God. And he tells them to wake up. Wake up and remember what you've received and obey me. That's what he says to them. You know, that's a tough word for us in our culture. It's, it's the four-letter dirty word of the church. O-B-E-Y. Obey. We don't want to hear that word. 
But it's what Jesus commands of us. Obedience. So how are we doing in this area? Are we all show? Is there any substance? Any deeds behind the talk? How are we doing with simply obeying the Lord? How obedient are we? How rebellious are we? Reluctant? Are we not listening? Or are we attentive to the Lord's voice and responsive? Going when He says go and stopping when He says stop. Let's listen. To the church in Philadelphia, and and this is the church in Asia Minor, not in Pennsylvania. Um, Jesus has only one, only approval to give. Only approval to give. No warnings, no rebukes. They're a church that has little strength, but they've kept Jesus' word and they've not renounced His name. They're people who are weak, but in their weakness they've depended on Jesus' strength. What a wonderful thing. And that has made the difference for them. And they've been able to endure the storms of life that are thrown at them. How about us as a church? How are we doing? Can we admit that we're weak? Or do we got to pretend like we're strong and we got it all under control? Or are we admitting our weakness, knowing that we can't survive the storms of life without the strength of Jesus? Let's please, let's please be the church that depends on Him. We don't have to pretend. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to say we're screw-ups. It's okay to say that we're needy. We got some things wrong. Let's stay there. Let's not go to the other place, please. To the church of Laodicea, Jesus doesn't have any good praises to give them. It's sad. Jesus says he knows them, and he knows that they're neither hot nor cold. They're not really fully for Jesus, and they're not really fully against Jesus. They're just kind of in the middle. They're just lukewarm, lukewarm water in Jesus' mouth. And Jesus says they're going to become spit on the pavement if they don't change. If something doesn't change. They also have a problem with depending on their wealth, which keeps them from seeing their deep spiritual poverty. How about us as a church? How are we doing? Have we become lukewarm? Are we neither for nor against? Are we just kind of hoping that if we stand in between, it'll be okay? Have we become spiritually blind to our need for Jesus? Or are we constantly going to the one who can open our eyes, take away our shame, and refine us in the fire, making us like gold? Let's keep going to Him. Let's keep going to Him. How are we doing? How are we doing as a church? Look, these words of Jesus are a measuring stick. He's the one we seek approval from. Not from some denominational leaders. Not from some church association. Or from some country club of successful churches in America. We don't seek our approval from them. What the Lord God thinks of us matters. Is this great church? You know, I really believe that there is nothing like the beauty and power and potential of the local church when it's functioning and aligned right with the Lord. There can be powerful and wonderful things happen. And we've witnessed some of those things here as this church has begun and has carried on. In Acts chapter 2, there's a beautiful picture. 
of church. There was once a community of believers that were radically devoted to God. Whatever he would ask them to do, they would do. Whatever he told them to stop doing, they would stop. Whatever, if he urged them out onto a limb of faith, they would go out on the limb just to see where he would lead them. This community of believers in Acts developed a radical love for one another. They shared meals together. They shared life together. They stopped pretending. They discovered what it was like to know and be known, what it was to love and to be loved, to serve and to be served. They became like family. There was once a church like that. Really. It existed. It happened. That same church broke down all ethnic walls. They broke down the gender walls. In that same church, the rich cared for the poor, and the poor were not denigrated in the process. In that same church, bold prayers were prayed to the living God. And when they prayed, His mighty hand fell so regularly that people just got used to backing up and crying out in praise and in awe. That same church cared so much about those who were outside the faith that they spread the faith creatively and compellingly at the risk of their own lives. That's what a church could be. It's what a church could be. It existed once before in the first century. Why can't one like that exist today in our culture? Has God lost His stuff? Has the power of His Word just fizzled out? Is the spirit asleep? Why can't a church like that exist today? There is no good reason. It should happen. It must happen. But for a church like that to come into existence here, someone has got to change their plans. It's going to take some young people like the ones gathered here, to build such churches. It's going to take some old people saying, I'm giving my retirement to God to work with Him and His great mission. Today, I ask you, I ask you without embarrassment or apology at all, I ask you to let your other plans leave, set them aside. Set your other plans aside and give yourselves to God in joining Him in building these things called biblically functioning communities. And I promise you, if you do, when you get to the end of your life and you look back on it, you won't regret it. You won't. And today, I'm also asking unashamedly, without apology, give yourselves wholly to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I'm not merely talking about a get-out-of-hell pass. I'm not talking just about that. I'm talking about confessing yourself as a sinner. I'm talking about turning to follow Jesus Christ all the days of your life. I'm talking about Him making the center of your life, not the periphery. I'm talking about not a remodeling of your house, of your home, your, your body, your life. I'm talking about a total demolition and a new life, a new build, a new construction going up. I'm not talking about trying to to pull yourself up from your own bootstraps, from your old heart and your old energies. I'm talking about a heart transplant. Jesus coming into your life and something new that has never existed before coming alive in you 
and helping you to live this life that Christ is calling us to live. I'm asking you today to give yourselves wholly to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm asking you to give yourselves to the building of His church. I'm not saying go to church. I'm saying be the church. How about it? Maybe this is the beginning. Maybe this is knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe the Lord's already been telling you stuff. Maybe this is just sealing it off. But are there plans that need to be set aside so you can be a part of His great mission? And are there some of you here today that need to say, man, I've been trying to lead my own life and I've been screwing it up pretty royally. Jesus, have at it. Have at my life. I, I mean, I, I can't do any better. I can't. Lead me. Show me how to live. Come into my life. What I'm saying is, is don't put it off. Do it today. Do it now.